The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me, Elliot Shiner. Is a record producer, engineer, and mixer. He's made recordings with a great variety of artists and bands. Everyone from Steely Dan, Bruce Hornsby and the Range, Foo Fighters, Band of Horses, The Eagles, Aerosmith, Toto, Van Morrison, Queen, Jimmy Buffett, Beyonce. We could keep on going. Elliot Shiner has been nominated for a Grammy 25 times and won eight times. It's a pleasure to welcome Elliot Shiner. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. So, I've heard it, you say before that you love working with younger bands, newer bands. Why is that? Um, they usually bring new concept they feel has never been done. In most cases, it has been done, but they have a fresh outlook. They thrive to be in more than a, a bedroom studio. They like going to a commercial studio that has all the access to everything you need. And I think they're inspired by what that brings. You know, any band I've worked with that was young tends to look around and, you know, well, here's an example. My son was in a band that was uh, on the Letterman show. And I got down to meet him that day because I was going to sit around and see how it sounded. And they had just come in from Houston. It was about eight in the morning. And they were sitting on the stage and sort of half asleep. And I walked in there. I said, do you guys know who was on this stage? And they were like, no. Hmm. And I, I said, well, the Beatles made their American debut here. I mean, you know, all of a sudden it lit up in their head and they started to look around the stage like they would find something. You know, it was it, it's pretty amazing when you know what you're here to do and how to do it. But there's an inspiration that comes from being in either a venue or a recording studio that, you know, you've not been to. Do you still get nervous when you're about to work with a band or an artist for the first time? No, I can't say I do. Um, I might get nervous if I was working, let's say, uh, with Peter Gabriel. You know, somebody who I've never worked with before and always wanted to. So, yeah, I might be nervous with somebody like him who's well, you know, he totally understands the way everything works and what you can do and what you can't do. So, you know, I might be more nervous nervous with uh, somebody like that. Were you at all nervous working on the Paul McCartney album, Kisses on the Bottom? Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the last thing I, uh, you know, I worked with somebody that was that large. And, you know, I, I came in the studio about two hours before the date started. 
And Tommy Lapuma came in, and uh, Paul eventually walked in, and uh, I got up, and Tommy introduced me, and uh, he was just the most wonderful guy ever. And at some point towards the end of the day, I said, hey, would you sign an autograph for my two two kids? And uh, he said, oh, sure. And I took a couple of track sheets from uh, Avatar and I handed it to him and he wrote down something to each of them and he signed it, Paul McCartney, and in parentheses underneath, he put down your dad's friend. Hmm. At that point, you know, there was no more. You know, it was like everything was golden. Hmm. What did you think of that album, Kisses on the Bottom? Um, it was, it was okay. Uh, I didn't agree with all the songs. I think he probably could have picked better songs than what he did, but the bottom line is that it's Paul. And I sat there doing vocals with him and he sang effortlessly. Here's a guy you don't tune, you know, all the DAWs come with tuning devices and Paul, you don't have to. You know, it, it's amazing to watch that he does everything so, so incredibly well. We're talking with Elliot Shiner today. Who would you say taught you the most about making records? Phil Ramone, without doubt. I got my first job with Phil back in 60, October 10th, 67. And uh, he said, when can you start? I said, when, whenever you want me. He said, okay, come back tomorrow. We'll get you set up to do things. And I became Phil's assistant after about three or four weeks. And, uh, you know, Phil was... You could, you, you were able to learn so much from this guy just by listening to him. You know, talk to an artist or t- talk to another engineer or producer. You know, he he didn't want to talk to an assistant during a date. And he let me know that he said, "Look, you know, when I'm working, I don't want to talk about theories and mics and placement and what's good and what." But after the date, I'll give you as much time as you need. And he did. I mean, you could just ask him questions for hours after a date finished, and he'd stay there with you and point out why he did this or why he did that. It was pretty amazing. He he was definitely the guy that taught me everything. Could you say that there is an Elliot Shiner sound some people told me that years ago. I didn't like hearing it because I'd like to, I always like to consider that I could do any kind of music. But I got labeled with, oh, you're the Steely Dan guy. And it sort of hung in there for a while. I heard from a few bands and producers, you're the guy who does Steely Dan. And you know, and I thought at the time, well, Steely 
was great, but I didn't only want to do Steely. You know, I wanted to do other bands. And it, it was tough to get out of that position. The thing with Steely, like you'd go to do an album and you'd be in there for two years. So you didn't have to worry about getting another gig. So I wanted to work with the Eagles. I wanted to work with uh, Aerosmith. It was, you know, I wanted to do more of that kind of stuff. And it was a little bit more difficult to come across. Now, are there any artists or bands out there in particular that you would really like to work with? Let me think about this. I'm sure there are. Uh, you know, I, I'm, right now I'm doing a fish project, and I love those guys. I love the way they are. I love the way they play. You know, as far as musicians, they're absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, I've enjoyed working with those guys since I started. You know, I'd like to work with Harry Connick, believe it or not. Hmm. What is it about Harry Connick Jr. that pulls you in? Well, there's a couple of things. I love his voice. I love the way he phrases and talks. But he also does more than just one type of music, you know. I've heard him do uh, swing, and his swing stuff is amazing. Uh, just as much he does, you know, like down-home kind of stuff, you know, Louisiana kind of stuff. But uh, I think he's amazing. What are your recollections of the recording of the Van Morrison song, Moondance? Um, well, originally... It, it was done at uh, A&R, Phil studio, and there were a bunch of us, a bunch of the newer engineers, except one, that all got involved with it. And at some point I came in, I became a go-to guy after that. So I recorded a bunch of tracks and then mixed the entire record. As far as, you know, it was a great band he had in the studio. And he came in here, came in here at a certain time every day, and he made music. He didn't concern himself. He didn't come into the control room and say, uh, I don't like the bass drum sound or I don't like the sax sound. He just came in and listened to what was there, you know. And there were times, for Van, though, I got to say, everything, uh, everybody who worked on that project did a great job. And there was there was nothing that he could have said. You know, it was pretty amazing sounding. Uh, as far as what Van does, you know, he's a writer, a singer, and, uh, you know, he doesn't talk about anything in the studio except for what he's doing. My recollection is a uh, van is uh, it was an everyday thing uh, and it was great fun. There was, you know, like a lot of artists you don't have great fun with, but with van, it was, it was pretty amazing. Another very significant recording that you were producer on would be the debut album from Bruce Hornsby and the range, the way it is. I knew you were going to say that. You knew I was? Why? 
because I prefaced my previous statement as he was a fun guy to work with. <laughs> now, I really loved working with him. And you're going to ask, what's your question about Bruce? What did you think when you first encountered Bruce Hornsby? Um, you know, I went ahead and did it. And I questioned the entire time, what is this? Is this country music or is it folk? Is it? I couldn't define what kind of music it was. And it, it turned out well. But, but this is the one time in my whole career that I, I was on these dates and I was ready to go home. I didn't, you know, I wanted out. I mean, it was a great record. It was very successful. In my estimation, he was not a nice guy. Hmm. A few years after that album, if you look yeah. at the discography of Jimmy Buffett, they all kind of went in a certain direction. And then, in just in my humble opinion, the album that you produced for him in 1989, Off to See the Lizard, it was yeah. a very much a departure. I like that album a lot, but I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what direction you all were trying to go with that. We were trying to take it more out of take it out of uh, an island thing and put it more into pop. And at that moment, I hired a band that Jimmy never used. And I told them, you're going to love these guys. And they came in and played. It was uh, piano bass. It was actually, they were guitar bass and drums. And I brought in a friend of theirs who plays piano. And it was those four guys. And they put the entire record into a, you know, more pop vein for it. And, and it came out really good. The problem was, is that his fans really wanted the island thing. And I didn't do it intentionally, but I thought it would be a good departure. And I was wrong. You know, I mean, there are some songs in there that are very good, but overall, I don't think his fans really went for it. But it's interesting that those musicians and we're talking about the Peter Mayer group, PM, they're still right. a, a part of his band. They are. At, at that point, I started working with Jimmy in the 80s, early 80s. No, actually, in the 70s, but recording-wise, I worked with him in the 80s, and he had his band, and I brought in Rob Greenwich. You know, he wanted a a pan player, and I knew of Robert Greenwich, and I brought him into the studio. Jimmy fell in love with him. And I also introduced him to Ralph McDonald. And then bringing in the PM guys, you know, it, it sort of filled out the band. And there was Mike Utley, who, you know, he's a great musician, and he plays Jimmy's stuff great. There were no horns at that point. I can't remember if there were background singers or not, but on Off to See the Lizard, the background singer I used was Cheryl Crow because she was friends 
with the PM guys. They were all from St. Louis. And she came in to do this as, you know, yeah, you know, I've never done anything like this. So it was a nice treat for her. What are your memories of working with Paul Simon? You know, they had me down as working with Paul Simon, but I never did. Oh, okay. You know, I, I mixed the show he wrote. I sort of remixed it for Phil. And uh, that was the only thing I ever did with him. Has there been an artist that you could say impressed you the most in the studio? Paul. Paul McCartney. Paul, yeah, Paul McCartney. And even, even though I didn't do a, a lot with him, I was supposed to do Ram. And they had down the studio that the dates were eight weeks from this point on, and uh, I sat in there the first day, and nobody shows up. And I questioned the booker, and I said, you know, what's the deal here? And they didn't know, and they found out later, yeah, it's supposed to be two months later. And so I, at that point, I couldn't do it because I was booked to do an album with a guy named Jackie Lomax from Australia. And he was an Apple uh, artist. So they weren't going to let me not work with Jackie to work with Paul. So, but I did see how Paul did things and how interesting everything was that he did. You know, how he placed amps and it, it was pretty amazing. So I, I would think him or uh, Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry, okay. Yeah. What about some of the uh, the newer bands? Who who would you say? Like, I, I know you worked with Band of Horses. Yeah. Who would you say impressed you a lot from them from newer bands? Uh, for me, it's the Foo Fighters. You know, they were new to me. They're still kind of new to me, but. Um, they had the most to offer. What kind of environment do you like to create when you work with somebody? I try and find out as much as I can about the artist and what they do or don't like, assuming they've made music before. Uh, and just, you know, do something that's within their game but different. Like I talked about Jackie Lomax. When he came in the studio and their producer said to me, you know, if you can come up with something different, something that would really put these guys in a great musical mind. And it was a smaller room that we're working in at A&R. And I got this idea. I looked at the room and looked at just wasn't sure what to do about it. And what I ended up doing is putting scaffolding along the walls. And I put their amps up on the walls and only the drummer was down on the floor. And 
they came in and saw this and they went wild. They thought, oh my God, this is, who's done this? <laughs> I said, I don't think anybody's done it. And, you know, they just thought it was brilliant. It didn't turn out to be brilliant. It was pretty awful, but it was fun to do and see how they reacted to it. It was pretty amazing. A lot of people ask any kind of artist about favorites, you know, favorite song, favorite recording. I wouldn't ask you that, but I would be curious, and this is probably a tough question. If you had to pick a recording that you worked on to represent or present what you do, which one would it be? It would be so different. Um, well, number one, my favorite artist was always Marvin Gaye. And I did a, a, a cut with uh, Smokey Robinson back in the mid-70s. And he wasn't quite Marvin, but he was pretty amazing sounding. I did, uh, he did a cut of Abraham, Martin, and John. And it was right after, it was a couple of years after uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. So it had a special meaning to me of him wanting to do this cover. But, you know, it, it's not who I worked with, uh, who the special sound was. It, it was, you know, what I like to listen to. And it would have to be Marvin. I just loved everything about Marvin. What do you hope people say about you when you're not around? He's an asshole. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I know what my kids say about me. And my both my kids are very proud of what I've done and uh, how it's affected me. i got to tell you a personal story. When it was about three years ago, almost three years ago, I hit my head and I stroked out and then went into a coma. And they put me at Yale Hospital. And the doctors told my kids, you know, he's not going to make it, you know, he's just not going to do it. And uh, nobody believed them. And at some point, my kids came in with music, and they started playing Marvin Gaye. And they said to me, that was the first time that I moved. You know, it was just hearing, and it was sexual healing, just hearing hmm. Marvin. And, you know, apparently, I was tapping my foot. <laughs> so they knew at that point, it wasn't over. Hmm. That's something. <laughs> what is the best thing about being Elliot Shiner? Um, I have a baseball team. I really love that. But um, I've gotten to work with so many artists over the years, and with the exception of one, and you can leave that thing out that I said if you want to, but... Uh, Every every 
album, every song, every day in the studio has always been a new experience. From the very first time I started for Phil, it was like, you know, I was in heaven. It was, you know, amazing to see musicians come in and play and sing and, you know, make a record. And, you know, it, the whole experience was pretty incredible. In closing, yes. what would you say to our listeners, just giving you the microphone totally open-ended? To your listeners? Yeah. And generally, who are your listeners? Are they people who want to uh, get involved in this? Or? I think most of them are music fans, but it's it's always surprising. You know, sometimes you get... You get an email from someone, you know, you wouldn't normally expect. Just the way communication has gone, it's just it's so open. You you're not you're not limited to the people in your your FM radio circumference. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Totally. No, I understand. Uh, for me, you know, at looking at looking <laughs> to a fan of music, I'd want. And then to embrace every format. Like, you know, a lot of the artists still record digitally in 44.1. I still make records from analog tape. You know, I want people to be exposed to a higher format of listening. It's not, you know, an MP3. And a lot of the younger kids maybe from a couple of years ago where, you know, MP3 was fine. That's all you need because you could take your music around, which as a kid, we were never able to do. I just think they should be open to whatever it has to offer. There's more than just one kind of music and it, everything should be explored for what, for what they are. For the guy who's listening and I want to do this, I want to do this for the rest of my life. It's a hard market. It's very tough. Back when I started, you know, everybody came into a commercial studio and you didn't bid, you didn't, you were there. And they decided that, you know, well, this guy would be great for Van. You know, and that's basically the way it worked then. It doesn't work that way anymore. You know, there's a lot of schools to learn that. We never had a, a school to learn that. You know, I got all my information from uh, from Phil. And nowadays, you know, they go to various recording schools, and some of them are great, and some of them are horrible. You know, there are the ones where you have teachers that made records and good records and decided to at some point get it up and teach. And then there are other schools that don't have those types and they're pretty big. And you find out that the teacher you're learning from just graduated. You know, so it's a puzzling sort of market. Learning is great. What you do afterwards is a little more difficult. 
I generally tell everybody who's going to school to think about it's a business for entrepreneurs. And I would think about getting together and uh, you and your friends or you and bands and designing a room that you can work in and, and see if you can make it that way. Who is Elliot Shiner? How would you define yourself? Uh, I'm just uh, I'm just pretty plain, actually. You know, I like everything that everybody else likes. I like sports. I like uh, uh, music. I like I love jazz, and uh, you know, I'm I do everything that everyone's doing. It's, it's on my time. I just get to do it when I want to, you know, I have a studio in my house and I'll, I'll get up at eight in the morning, go right in here and start mixing because I thought of something. But, uh, for the most part, it's, uh, I'm no different than anyone else. Well, sir, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for the wonderful recordings that you've made. There's so many of them that I just love. Oh, thank you. It's always nice to hear. All right, Mr. Shiner. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk thank to you. you. Thank you. I hope you, hope you have enough there. I got some good stuff. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Till next time. Thank you. All right, man. Bye-bye. Bye. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.